0: All right. Well, in Mark chapter 6, what we find today, we for the scripture reading, we only read verses 1 through 13, but you're going to see as uh, towards the end of my message, I'm going to connect this to kind of the whole of Mark chapter 6. There's a lot of other things going on. There's a story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. You guys may have heard of that story, uh, but um, this is kind of setting the context for what uh, the other things that are happening at the rest of Mark chapter 6. In Mark 6, kind of verses 1 through 6, what we find what Mark is telling us is that, you know, um, contrary to how you might see Jesus received in that day, because when you think about Jesus, you know, he came to heal the sick. He came to be with the broken. He, he, he fed the hungry. Jesus, you know, he, he didn't teach anything that um that, that wanted to hurt people, he wanted to, to relieve suffering, he presented a gospel, a good news, he presented an announcement about the kingdom of God. And, and you would think that uh, someone like that would be so well accepted, embraced wherever he went. What Mark 6 tells us though is that Jesus, even in his hometown, was actually rejected. He was rejected in his hometown, and it just can you imagine, you know, a lot of us, we have pride in where we grew up, right? We have pride in even maybe like what elementary school we went to. We have pride in our hometown, and yet Jesus in his hometown, he didn't have the kind of recognition that um, he probably have deserved being who he was. Right? He didn't, he didn't force people to believe him. He didn't force people to accept him, but but in his hometown he was rejected. We know this because in verse three it, it says something like this that they said to they said of Jesus, is he not the carpenter? And they didn't call him Christ. You know, Christ is not a last name, it's a it means the Messiah, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the anointed one. And um and they didn't call him Christ. They called him, isn't he the carpenter? And and then afterwards it says, Isn't he the son of Mary? And before we kind of overlook that, you have to understand that to call someone in that day uh, the son of, and to, to mention your, your, your mother's name instead of your father's name, was actually insulting in that day. Because of the society they were in, it was a very patriarch, uh, patriarchal, is that, is that a word? Society where you would say your father's name, you would say you're the son of so-and-so, like your dad is so-and-so. And so for them to say, is he not a carpenter, the son of Mary, is to say about Jesus, is to kind of say, man, we don't even know who your father is. Does anyone know who his father is? Is to call him fatherless. Is to, to bring him down. You know, is to kind of degrade him and is to not show honor and embrace, but, to, but almost this rejection. And there, there's a reason why Mark in chapter 6, 1 through 6, mentions this because it's gonna, there's a theme here that's, that's kind of building up. So Jesus is rejected. And then in verse 7, what he does is he gathers the disciples. It says in verse 7, he called the 12. So he had this group of people whom he called the disciples or the 12. He, pour, he pours his life into them. They've been following him around. He calls the 12 and then says, and began to send them out. You mean you called me just to send me out? This is exactly what happened. He calls the 12 to send them out. Now, so here's what's happening here. There's a, a, a turning point in Mark 6, verse 7. And the turning point is this, that up to now, the disciples who some of them were fishermen and just literally dropped their nets to drop their business, to drop whatever it was, they, they felt the invitation of God. They felt Jesus calling them uh, with such assurance with such trust and faith that they left everything, some of them. And up to this point, all we know about the disciples were that they were observers of the ministry of Jesus. They followed Jesus. They probably knew him personally more than the crowd or anyone else. And, but they saw Jesus. They got a, they got a front row seat at uh, his miracles and, and what he did and what he taught. You know? and, and so they were, they were observing what Jesus did. But never have they been commissioned to go out and do what he did. did. They never have, they been up to this point, never had Jesus said, put on your jersey, you're now on the court. Right? Up to this point, they've been on the bench and just watching Jesus. And I don't know at what point, they, maybe at some point they thought, you know, when, when can we do that? I wonder, like, is this, is this going to be the, the entirety of our, are we just going to always just watch him? And here in Mark 6, 7 is a turning point because Jesus calls the 12 and then he sends them out. Here's what Jesus does with people who follow him, this is what Jesus does. He, he calls people to himself. He calls the disciples. The first call of Jesus is to himself. It, it's an invitation to be with him. He, he's saying, you got to know me. you got to know my heart. You've got to understand. what you gotta, You got to see what I see. you got to feel what I feel. So you have to know me not just do things for me, but you got to know me. So he calls people to himself. And what we see in Mark 6, 7 is this. Not only does he call people to himself, but from him, they can now go for him. From him, they can now go for him. In other words, there's a call to himself and there's a commission to go on his behalf. There's a call unto himself, and there's now a commission to go on his behalf. This is what the church is about. There's a call for the church. This is why we gather, because the church has a, the same rhythm the disciples did. It's a call to gather, and then a call to go. It's a call to gather, then a call to scatter. It's come and know me, come and be with me, but now from me, go for me. Isn't that beautiful? That's the sum of the life of life with Jesus. It's simple. It's come be with me and then from me, go for me. Be with me and now go on my behalf. And so here, here's, I mean, can you imagine the disciples who have just seen incredible miracles and wondering, when can I ever do that? Right? And now they got their chance. So Jesus says, uh, he, or, or the Bible says that Jesus sends them out. He calls the 12 and he sends them out two by two. And he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He gave them authority. He, he, didn't, he, didn't, give, um, he didn't give them a budget. Uh, he, he didn't really give them um, a lot of the material, tangible stuff. But he gave them authority. He gave them authority to do what Jesus did. You know, as a kid, you ever um, play this game with your friends, like I think about maybe first grade where $5, remember a time when $5 was like a lot of money, right? So it might not even be first grade, right? But, but first grade where $5 was so much money. And you ever play this game with like other, your other friends and you're like, hey, if someone gave you $100, if, if you found $100, what would you do? You ever play that? All right? Maybe it's just a game for poor people like me, but, like, hey, if someone gave you $100, and then then as a first grader, like, you think $100 is so much, you can't fathom what you would do with all that money, and just remember thinking, like, I would buy Disneyland. Like, if someone gave me $100, I would just buy Disneyland. And then, then, you know, you realize $100, like, is a lot, but it's not, like, that much, right? You get older, you're like, oh, okay, okay, but what if someone gave you, like, $5,000? Maybe you're, like, you know, in, like, fourth grade now. What if someone give you $5,000? You're like, then I would buy Disneyland, you know? and you Because you can't fathom what you would do with $5,000. And then maybe as an adult, it's like, you ever um, think about, like, man, what, what would I do if I won the lottery? You ever think that? Or, like, have friends that play lottery, and you're like, what would you even do? Like, you don't even know what you would do, right? And you ever ask, like, what would you do if you won the lottery? Like, if you had all that money, what would you, like, what, do you even fathom what you would do? You know, I think, about, I think about what would you do if you had, not just talking about money, but if you had authority and power, and not just like a, a little, but like if you had all the authority and all the power in the world where literally you had control over everything going on in the affairs of the world, like you had so much authority, like anytime, like if you had a heart for uh, justice or, 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 or solving injustice, you would say, man, if I had authority and power, I would, I would get rid of this, I would fix that. I would change this system and that structure, right? If you had all this authority and power, what would you do? Like, I'm not, I'm not even talking about just humans, humans, but you, you even had control over things that, like, the climate and the, and the weather, like the, like the winds in Chicago, if they were tearing through the city, you had so much authority and power that if you just said, calm down, it would calm down, right? If there was a storm and you said, calm down, it would calm down. What would you do with all that authority and all that power if it was given to you? You know, I I ask that because I think one of the greatest tests, maybe of character, and I would say of love, of how much love you have, is how you would handle authority. How do you handle power? When you give someone power, watch how they handle that. Watch how they use that. And I think about what did Jesus do? The one who came with all authority and all power. You know what Jesus did? He gave it away. Because like if you had all the authority and all the power, here's what I think. I don't know, but I think what we would say is, you know, James, I think I would do a lot of good in the world. I think all of us would say that. I, if I had power and if I had authority, I would just, I would change up so many things. I would do a lot of good for the world. I would bring a lot of just incredible improvement. I would better the world. But I think also, we might not announce it, but I think humanly speaking, we would probably also say, but if I also had that power and authority, I would somehow want to benefit from it. Wouldn't you agree? We don't have to tell everyone that, but we, but we probably think that or we will think that if we were given that authority and power. That somehow we still want to be the beneficiary of that authority, of that power. There's somehow that in our sin, we still want to gain something from that authority and that power. But here's how I know you and I can trust Jesus. And you know, someone might say, man, James, how, do you, how can you trust Jesus? How do I know I can trust Jesus with my life? Here's how. Watch how he uses authority. What does Jesus do with authority? What does Jesus do with power? Does he ever try to become the beneficiary? Does he ever try to make himself look better? Mm -mm. Jesus had no problem giving disciples authority because Jesus came to give his own life. So he gives the disciples authority and power. You know, I thought, like, if I was a disciple and and Jesus said to me, James, like, I'm going to send you out You know, let's just say, like, me and Steve, Steve and James go out, I I give you authority. I I would ask, what does that look like? (laughs) Like, is that a certificate? Is it coming in the mail, Jesus? You know, like, what does that look like? What does that look like? They find the power of Jesus and what he can do in their obedience, they didn't, they, didn't, they didn't walk away with a certificate saying, I've got authority now. It, it didn't say certified by Jesus Christ. To, to say you have authority, they're, like, they're probably like, what does that even look like? It wasn't, it wasn't until their obedience, it wasn't until they actually went out and walked in their obedience, in faith, trusting and depending on Jesus. They actually realized that was what Jesus was talking about. What we just saw, that was the authority of Jesus. For them to to do what they did and see what they saw, they they were able to attribute that. Because whenever they did something, it probably amazed them and they probably thought, like, I wasn't trained for that. Like, that's not in my skill set. I didn't go to school for that. And every time the gospel was received, any time a life transformation happened, they realized that was the authority of Jesus. Jesus did that. You know, Jesus didn't send them out with authority and. He just sent them out with authority. You know what it says after verse 7? Verse uh, it says, he charged them to take nothing for their journey. So he said, you have authority, which is great. But then, humanly speaking, this doesn't seem very good. He, they, he, says, he says, take nothing. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. And then, you know the first thing Jesus says that you should not take? You know what the first thing was? No bread. No carbs. I just, I can't even, ima- like, being, being Korean, being Asian, I can't imagine ministry without rice. Like, man, those two things, like, go together for me. <laughs> and, I, like, can you imagine, like, do ministry but no bread, no, no food? So what, what Jesus, Jesus says is, you know, I give you authority, but take nothing else for your journey. And the first thing he says is no bread. And you got to ask yourself like what like do, do i need to know that and the answer is yes because there's a story about bread in just the next few verses after where he's feeding the thousands with bread we're going to get to that in just a minute but it says don't take any bread no bag no money in their belts but to our sandals and to not uh, and not put on two tunics right so he he sends them out with authority but it basically, he's saying, don't take anything else. They're, they're wondering, how, how are we going to eat? And Jesus says, you're going to have to depend on other people. Where are we going to stay? Where are we going to sleep? What he's saying is, don't go on Airbnb and start booking your place. He's saying, don't go find a nice condo. He's saying, Jesus is saying, don't try to find your connections and your networks. Don't try to figure out who's in that village and where, where can I sleep and what can I eat. You know, don't be on Yelp trying to figure out you know, where, where can, where's the... Which restaurant has the best, you know, uh, uh, um, reviews and, and, and how much money do I need to bring? He's saying don't take any of that. And what Jesus is trying to do here, there is a discipleship process happening with them. And what he's trying to say is that now that you have turned, uh, there's a turning point in your discipleship where now, you've, now what you have seen, you will actually do. What Jesus is saying is that all ministry is going to depend on me. All ministry is dependent on me. That anything you do, any fruitful, lasting ministry for me is actually from me. And he's saying, you, well, the lesson here is that ministry requires dependency on Jesus, on the words of Jesus. And so, so we're not sending you with a budget. There's no outreach budget here. We, we, don't, have, we don't have Airbnb booked In advance, you're going to just have to depend on my words, and so go. And in their obedience, they saw the power of Jesus in their life. But you gotta wonder, like, why? Why does Jesus go to that extreme? And I want to make a disclaimer here that in this passage, when Jesus says to go out and, and don't take money, don't take your bags, don't take bread, this is um, this is more descriptive, not prescriptive. What that means is that that passage right there is not a prescription for all pastors and missionaries and, and gospel workers. It's not a it's not a prescription for the priesthood of all believers. That if anyone is going to serve God, we're not supposed to have any bread or money, and you know it's. It's not saying that at all. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke, later on, Jesus asked them, He says, Hey guys, do you guys remember when I sent you out with nothing? And they go, Yeah, yeah, I remember. And Jesus says, Did you guys lack anything? And you know what their response was? Jesus, we lacked nothing. We lacked nothing. And then, then Jesus says, Good, and, and now, and then and then after after that he says, now you actually need some resources. So what this passage is... Is saying to us, it's not saying that this is a a prescription for us to apply into our own daily lives. But this is showing us something about discipleship and what Jesus is trying to teach his 12, teach the disciples right now. What they are to experience is one, dependency on on Jesus and his words to go. But secondly, they are to experience hospitality from the villages that they enter. Because where are you going to eat? You're going to eat from someone that you may not even know that's going to welcome you in. Where where are we going to sleep, Jesus? Uh, You will sleep uh, from maybe a stranger that welcomes you in. Someone will see you, see that you need rest, and bring you in. Someone will see you're hungry and feed you. Someone will give you bread. And so Jesus actually wanted them to experience hospitality and it's important for what we're going to get into later about the feeding of the 5,000. But Jesus wanted the disciples to experience hospitality. And I thought to myself about How this is so similar to like a missions uh, experience that I remember having overseas missions uh, back when in my early 20s. I went to Thailand and I took a team and I remember, you know, maybe it was just like the young mindset or just maybe just, you know, ambitious. And our mindset was, you know, we're going to go to Thailand and we're just going to bless the heck out of them. And you don't have to raise your hand, but maybe you've been on a mission trip and, and you've, been, you've been preparing for this and you've been praying for this and you've been training for this. And, you know, you just get kind of get, like, you know, a step too far, you know, and you're just like, I'm going to bless the heck out of them as if, like, we're, actually, we're the heroes, you know what I mean? And, and we're going to go. We're going to serve the heck out of them. We're going to make them breakfast. We're going we're gonna to just serve and bless the missionaries and their wives. We're going we're gonna to bless the locals there. And, and we're going to cook them food. We'll do the dishes right and you know when we got there i we realized man we're just young lazy just recently graduated college you know students that don't have any structure in our lives and and i remember for the two weeks we were in thailand you know we had made this like rotation of like doing dishes and 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 making breakfast but every morning when we woke up the food was already laid out there were missionaries and missionaries' wives. There were locals from the neighborhood. They heard that there, there's a, a group coming from America to teach English and to spend time with us. And they, they came from far distances, some of them. They, they made food, and then afterwards, they stuck around, did all the dishes. They did that every single day. And if you've been on overseas missions, you probably know what I'm saying here. When you come back, your, your testimony is something of, you know, I, I went to go bless them, but I think they blessed me. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, I, I haven't met anyone that's gone on overseas missions and that hasn't said something of that, of that nature. Well, they, they're like, man, you know, I, I thought I was going to go and bless them. And maybe they were, but I realized they probably blessed me more just by the way they serve and their Hospitality. They would wake up and they would inconvenience themselves for the sake of another, for the sake of a stranger. They welcomed us. And I thought this is what the, the, the disciples are going to experience. They're going to go to these villages and they're going to be like, oh, you know, we have the gospel message. We were with Jesus. And they probably experienced the impact of a stranger saying, have some bread, here's a room get some sleep. And then they would come back. Right? So Mark chapter 6, then it goes on and says that they came back. And um, here's where where we kind of... This is, this is where, where it ties into the rest of Mark chapter 6. If you, if you move on, right, in Mark chapter 6, verse 30, it says the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. So they were just super amped. They, they, they experienced a lot of incredible things. They're ready to teach, tell Jesus what they had taught and what they have seen, and Jesus just, you know, he's not, I don't think he's impressed. I don't think he's impressed by all that they have done and all that they have taught because anything that is for him was actually from him and what he says instead is seems like you guys are tired let's go let's go get some rest and let's go to a desolate place and let's rest and maybe we can eat right and and what Jesus is um and what Jesus is trying to do is, is he's trying to he's trying to take care of his own disciples and disciples are like, oh, we did all these incredible things, and, and, and we can't wait to tell Jesus, but Jesus sees something that they didn't see, right, and so they're going to this desolate place, okay, and, and now in this desolate place, uh, they, there were thousands of people, 5,000, people that were running towards Jesus and the disciples. I was out at 7 a.m. this morning in Chicago uh, trying to follow my wife as she's running the hot chocolate and I just saw thousands. Like, I asked someone, you know, I said, hey, I'm preaching on the 5,000 today. Like, do you think this is 5,000? Someone said, this is probably more. and But I imagine, like, it's, it's like, can you imagine, like, just thousands of people running in the same direction and they're all going to Jesus. And this is what's happening. And so, so now, like, Jesus and the disciples are trying to get away, but they can't because the thousands are coming to him. And and if you're the disciple and all you wanted to do is tell Jesus and brag about what you did and, and you want to just go somewhere quiet and rest and eat, like you don't want any interruption, right? And then here's what Jesus, here's what the scripture says about Jesus though. That when Jesus saw the great crowd, he had compassion. When Jesus saw the crowd, he had compassion and i know that most of us we feel like we've we know what compassion feels like but in this Greek, the actual word here for compassion, it actually is talking about something where, where you feel it in your bowels, you feel it in your guts. When you're moved to a point where you cannot stand still, you gotta do something about it. It's not the kind of like, I feel sorry for someone and then you kind of just walk away. That's not, Bib- that's not the kind of compassion that Jesus had. The kind of compassion Jesus had was the kind that called him to action. It was the, he, 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 there was a felt need And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He he looked at them, and and his thought process was like, there's no one that's willing to give their life for them. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They've just heard about the, the beheading of John the Baptist. They're in confusion. They're wondering where's our rescue? Where's our Savior? Where's our Messiah? Where is our revolutionary leader, right? And they they, they, they thought, who's going to help us? And Jesus saw them. And he had compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, Mark is saying that Jesus had all this compassion. He's moved sheep without a shepherd. And then the next few verses says that the disciples responded. And here's how the disciples responded. Instead of feeling what Jesus felt, the way the disciples responded is by saying, Jesus... Here, here's what's going on. It's getting late. It's getting late. Like Jesus is one who can calm the storm, and it's like as if like he didn't know, right? Jesus, if you didn't know, it's getting late. So so here's what we think we you should do, right? He's like, let, let me give you advice, Jesus. Let's send them away. Let's send them away. And you think I'm making this up, right? I'm actually just quoting scripture. The disciples said to Jesus, let's send them away. And then you know what they say? They say, let's send them away. Why? Because they can go buy themselves something to eat. In other words, send them away because they can take care of themselves. And then to Jesus' response, you idiot. No, to (laughs) Jesus' response, when the disciples said, send them away, Jesus says, sit them down. When they when the disciples said they can buy themselves they can take care of themselves Jesus says they're like sheep without a shepherd I will take care of my people Jesus says sit them down and so they they're instructed to go have them gr- sit in groups of like hundred and fifty and my que- and Jesus is like go feed them my question would be like what's our budget. You know what I mean? Anybody, order of service people, right? What's our our food budget? You got 5,000 people, $10 a person, that's $50,000. Jesus, where's the budget? And Jesus basically saying, there's no budget, but there will be bread. There's no budget, but there will be bread. And can you imagine, like, your your disciple, you're like, dude, this guy, Jesus, is (laughs) unique, Right? There's no budget, but there will be bread. He says, go, go find how much bread you have. They come back. For 5,000 people, they come back and they find five loaves of bread and two fish. Can I be honest with you? I can eat that all by myself. <laughs> I'm not even joking. Like, my son can eat that all by himself. <laughs> There's like five donuts and two pieces of fish. I can do that. And you got five, how are you going to feed 5,000? Jesus. No budget? That means no bread. But Jesus is like, no budget? but there will be bread. He says, why don't you give the bread to me? And the Bible says this, and you have to, you have to, you have to know these words because these words come up again later in what we call the Lord's Supper. He said, the Bible says that Jesus taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. So here's, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it. He blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it. And all the disciples know is that Jesus knows something they don't know. And they would take this broken piece of bread and they would start to give it out. They're like, I don't know if this is enough, but here you go, here you go, here you go, here you go. And everybody's starting to eat. Everyone who was hungry is now starting to be satisfied. Everyone who came hungry are now starting to be full and they're happy and they're enjoying. And there's community and there's fellowship and there's love and there's care and there's hospitality. There's a welcoming Jesus is having a, uh, holding a feast here and as the bread is being multiplied they're probably wondering where is this bread all coming from and it's not coming from the budget where is this bread coming from and all they can say the only answer is that this bread came from Jesus this bread came from Jesus it didn't come from Panera this bread came from Jesus he blessed it he broke it and he gave it and the Bible says that they all ate. If you're a parent, you know, you know the, the joy of seeing your kids full, their stomachs full. Like you don't want your kids to starve. And they all ate. And the Bible says they were all satisfied. Where'd that bread come from? All I know is that bread came from Jesus. That bread came from Jesus. What did they just experience in that moment? When the disciples said, send them away, Jesus says what? Sit them down. You know what that's called? It's called hospitality. It's almost as if Jesus would look at the disciples and say, did you not forget that when I sent you out, you had no bread? And someone gave you bread. Did you not not remember that when I sent you out into the villages, I purposely said, don't have bread? You guys see this now, why he says no bread? Because he wants them to experience what it's like for a stranger to give them bread. And he says, don't you remember that like, you could have went into the villages and they could have sent you away, but somebody said, sit down and eat? Did that not impact you? Did that not change you? You would think that the disciples, having been in the villages with no bread and no housing, having strangers welcome them in, you would think that disciples would go to the 5,000 and say, Jesus, let's feed them. And in fact, instead they say, let's send them away. And here's why you and I, here's why I need Jesus. Because I'm like that disciple that can in one moment experience radical generosity and then in the very next moment send people away. Because I can be extremely blessed by someone, at someone else's cost. And yet in that same moment send people away. And to say, Jesus, focus on me. And here's what Jesus does for us. Jesus helps us to see what we don't see. Jesus helps us to feel what we don't feel so that He, he can help us do what He already did. This is why I need Jesus, because Jesus makes us compassionate. He, he helps us to align our eyes and fix our eyes where they ought to be. He helps us to align our heart where it ought to be so that we can actually do what he did hospitality in ministry in any gospel work there needs to be a dependency on god but it also involves hospitality what that means is it's, it's a care for people how do we care for people it's great that you healed demon you know cast the demons out you heal people you taught in, you know amazing message but how do you care for people is what jesus is saying I came across this TED talk by a uh, just. I guess he's a world-renowned chef in the food industry. He's really well known. There's a restaurant called the uh, the French Laundry. Anybody heard of it? It's Supposed to be like three hundred dollars plus a person. I don't know by experience. I just heard the news. And uh, but top five like restaurant in the in in the u.s and but i guess he was one of the the main guys there and now he has his own restaurant business and there's a ted talk and you know you would think that he he's he would spend all of his time talking about his craft how do you make amazing food but instead his whole time was not about the craft he talked about care and he talked about in his restaurant in his business he teaches his employees about hospitality and this culture of care right? I mean, it's just serving food, but then he, he, he distinguishes and he says it's not about service, right? Because he says most people will go to a restaurant and look at the waiter and the waitress as just servers, the chef as a server. But he says in our, in our restaurant, we don't serve because he says this, he says service is what you do to someone. He says hospitality is how you make someone feel. He says, every one of us has the ability to take care of the people we work with, the people who are coming to our business, and the people that we teach. We just need to learn to look outwards and not inwards. Think about how different the business world would be if we all made the commitment to be hospitalians to one another. So he calls all of his employees hospitalians because what he wants them to do is not service, but hospitality. He says, how do you make people feel? And you're like, man, why are you talking about TED Talk? And why are you talking about food? I'm talking about this because it's actually close to the heart of God. Because when I see Jesus, I see hospitality. Because when I see Jesus, I see him saying, sit down and eat. I don't see him driving people away. I see, I see a compassionate Jesus. Uh, I see the scriptures that point us to hospitality. Romans 12, verse 9 through 13, you know, it says, contribute to the needs of the saints and practice hospitality. 1 Peter 4, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality toward uh, one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Hebrews 13, let brotherly love continue and do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. That Greek word hospitality is actually two words combined. It's the word philo, which is love, and then xenia, which is strangers. And when you put philo, xenia together, it means to love the stranger. It means to welcome the stranger. It doesn't mean uh, open your home to your best friends and cook them a meal is to love and to welcome the, the stranger, not to send them away but to have them sit down and bring them to Jesus that's hospitality it's close to the heart of god but more importantly it's what jesus embodies in himself and if you haven't if you haven't remembered this is what jesus has done for us he shows us hospitality in ephesians 2 it says remember that you were at that time separated from christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You who were once far off have been brought near. You know what hospitality does? It brings those who are far off and brings them near. It it welcomes the stranger. It welcomes those who have been alienated. And what God in Christ has done on our behalf is that when we were strangers to God, He brought us in. And the Bible now calls us friends of God, sons and daughters of the living God. Hospitality. Jesus was rejected. And Jesus sends out the disciples So they can experience hospitality. And coming back to debrief, Jesus becomes a model for that hospitality. The disciples quickly forgot what it's like for a stranger to welcome them in. And Jesus says, this is what I'm doing for you. I welcome you in. Sit down and eat and be full and be satisfied. But this isn't the end of the story because... This isn't just about food. This isn't just about filling your stomach and having a free meal. When they were eating on the grass with the 5,000, it, it was a picture. They, they probably thought of Israel and, uh, when they left Egypt, when they had no food. And, and food for them, was, uh, was, it meant life, right? Like bread for us, just is carbs. I mean, it's really tasty, but it's just carbs. Bread for Israel meant life. It, it, it was, it was what, what's going to sustain our family. What's going to nourish our family. How are we going to get to from here to there. And when they had no bread. Do you guys remember this story? Six days out of the week. Bread would fall from where? Heaven to earth. And this bread, they didn't, they've never seen it before. They, they, they don't know what it was. And so the Hebrew word. They just called it mana, which means what is it? So they didn't know what to call it. They've never seen it. So they just called it what is it? But all they knew was that bread came from heaven to earth. Six days a week, bread came heaven to earth. This thing that would sustain them and give them life came from heaven to earth. And when they were feeding the 5,000 in that time with Jesus, there was bread that came from Jesus. They don't know where it is, but all they know is that bread is coming from Jesus. And it's filling our stomachs. It's feeding the multitudes. It's, in fact abundance where there's leftovers and the story doesn't end there because all throughout scripture there's this imagery of bread and and so not only do you have Israel where they experience bread from heaven not only do you have Jesus multiplying bread but in the gospel of John chapter 6 when they were asking Jesus you know what sign will you give us that we may believe in you what will you do? And he says, they said, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. And as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. But Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then they replied, sir, because they didn't know who Jesus was, sir, Give us this bread. And then Jesus says, I am that bread. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He's saying, I am that bread. He's saying, Come and feast of me. You know, our problem in our day is not that we don't have bread. It's that we partake in the wrong kinds of bread. We eat of the bread that we say we earned this bread. I worked for this bread. But Jesus is saying, no, there's a bread... There's a bread that you can never earn. There's a bread that you can never work for. There's a bread that you can never, uh, 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 in your own righteousness, in your own effort, there's a bread that that you can never have. This bread is by grace alone. This bread is by my love. This bread comes from me. But if you eat of this bread, you shall never go hungry. When you eat of this bread, all who eat will be satisfied. And so this is a picture of Jesus having a banquet with bread. And it's not just the multitude in Mark 6. It's about even now the multitude of people that Jesus is inviting. Even in our service, Jesus is inviting us to that banqueting table. And that bread is himself. And he's saying, feast of me. And when you feast of me, this bread that you have not earned or deserved, but by grace alone, when you feast of this, you will be satisfied. And you will have life. Remember when Mark 6, when Jesus fed them thousands, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it? Those are the exact same words Mark says in chapter 14 at the Last Supper, Jesus and his disciples, when they were about to take communion before Jesus would be uh, crucified on the cross, it, it says that he took the bread, he blessed it, broke it, and gave it. When you're reading Mark, they want you to remember the feeding of the 5,000. He blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it. He, he, he broke the bread, he gave it, and then this is what he says in Mark 14: "Take this for this is my body. Take this for this is my body." So here's what here's what we see today in Mark six is the hospitality of Jesus. That you and I who are far have been brought near. You and I who are strangers have become children. Jesus doesn't send us away, but he invites us in. And at this table, there's a seat for you. At this table, your name is on this table. And at this table, this bread is Jesus. And when you eat of Jesus, when you feast of him you shall have life. And so my prayer for us is that as we go out this week, we would remember what God in Christ has done for us by bringing us in. And as we go out, we would remember as we think about others, we would remember what Christ has done for us so that we ought to do for others. Would you bow your heads with me?